I'm going to give my age a little bit here. There used to be a, a magazine, and I don't know if it still exists. Does National Acquirer still exist? I don't even know if it exists anymore. I mean, but at the end of every year, they used to go to the psychics, you know, the people that predict the future. And the psychics would predict what was going to happen with people. And there would be predictions. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, and nobody ever checked up on them at the end of the next year. Because, you know, then, you know, you could find out how wrong they were, you know. But so they'd have it and everybody would buy the National Enquirer or whatever magazine. I I think that's the magazine it was in. And, and, you know, you'd read all of this stuff. Well, I remember reading one of those. Yes, I did buy the magazine once or twice. Okay. But on this, it said... I'm going to give you my date here that tells you. Elvis is going to have ups and downs this next year. You know, I thought about that. Do you know anybody that's not going to have ups and downs the next year? Do you know anybody that has every day is cotton candy? You understand what I'm saying? Every day is wonderful. Everybody, I mean, they drive down the road and everybody just parts ways. The lights change before them. You know, well, maybe an ambulance driver. But other than that, you know, they're driving and and the lights change for them everywhere. Everything goes as smoothly. I mean, when they pay their bills, they actually record it on their records down at, you know, wherever your bills are being paid. You don't have to go back and tell them again. You know, all of that kind of stuff. Nobody knows that. So let me give you... My psychic prediction here. Each of you are going to have ups and downs in this year. Not very psychic, is it? No, it's not. So that means that there's going to be something that is going to happen in your life that this next year that is going to be tough. I'm not telling you that so that you'll be down. I'm trying to tell you how you're going to make it through it. Because it's going to be determined by where your heart is what you have invested your life in is going to determine how well you're going to be able to handle the tough time that is coming in your life whatever that tough time might be and you may be going through it already you may already have gone or have been going through it. maybe there's a friend that is very very sick maybe you're very very sick maybe there's somebody that you know, that's giving you a hard time and they just want, maybe you've got a family member that you've got a, you know, you've, you've been, you know, disengaged from, you've, you've been estranged from and you, you would love to get back with, maybe you're having marital problems. Maybe, I don't know what's going on in your life, but maybe you're going through that right now and it's going to be determined on where you invest in yourself. You know, when Jesus stopped by Mary and Martha's house to eat one time, Martha had a problem. Martha had a what problem? That problem was what? You know, her sister was not doing enough. And so she went and said, get Mary up from, I mean, to Jesus. Said, get, get, get her up and have her come help me. And Jesus replied, Luke 10, 41. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Now, a lot of you people, I know a lot of you women especially, I've heard you say to me, I have a problem with that scripture. I have a problem with that scripture because you see, a lot of people think that it's going to be in their serving, that it's going to help them get through the tough times. It is not going to be in your serving. It's going to be in how close you are to Jesus. I will tell you up front, 
And so, would you rather invest yourself in something that was going to pass away? I mean, like you're serving? Or in something that cannot be taken away from you? So that when your children are sick, or when your relationship with your spouse is on the rocks, or when there are so few resources left that you know that you don't even want to call the bank, you're afraid they're going to start calling you. When you get so tired that you're just too tired to care about this, and you're at the end of your rope, what are you going to invest in? Let's see what Peter would have to say here. Peter was writing to some people that were going through some tough times. What kind of tough times? Well, there's some persecution. Yes. And I think that every time we see that people are going through tough times in the Bible, we say, oh, it must just be the persecution. Let me say something to you. Everybody goes through tough times and they don't have to be persecution. Sometimes it is loneliness. Sometimes it's the things that I've already mentioned here. And so Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, he says, in this you rejoice. Now, you realize i got to stop there. And I, mean, I got to stop there, and I'll tell you why. I, when I was preaching through this, you realized that the last sermon that I did in this uh, section was back in November before Advent. And so you don't know what this is. You can't know what this is because it doesn't say what this is. So i got to go up here a verse before, or two verses before. It's not going to be on the screen, but I'm going to say it to you. He says that, uh, that you have a resurrection, uh, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's in verse 3. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, I've got to say that so you understand. He's talking about in this, what? Your salvation. So, so in this, uh, you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So the thing that's going on here is, is that there's going to be some tough times. These people are going through tough times. And he's saying to them, in this you rejoice. See, what he was saying here is we rejoice in our salvation. And that time that it's difficult, you need to come back and you say, I rejoice in my salvation. For it says here in the scripture, our salvation is ready to be revealed in the last time, in the, in the last time. You know, and when you watch any of these playoff games or any of the things that you're going to watch over the, the next few weeks, you're going to see the, the college playoff game, you're going to see the, the, the NFL games, you're going to see finally we're going to get the March Madness, we're going to get the games. Who is the person that wins? The person that leads the whole game or the one that scores at the very end and wins the game? You can lose all the way through the game. I remember in high school, we played a team. They were ahead the entire game until the last 24 seconds, and we scored and won the game. It seemed like we were cheating those people. They thought they were going to win, and they didn't win. Say it. I want to say something to you. You're going to win. I don't care what you're going through. You're going to win. Do you understand that? That when you have Jesus Christ in your heart, there is going to become a day. I don't care how bad it is. I don't care how far behind you are. I don't care how many people tell you that it's a disaster that is coming. 
You are going to win. But the salvation is not just for the end. Salvation is also for right now. For salvation removed the barrier between us and God. It removed that barrier so that he came to dwell in us. Not just beside us, but to dwell in us. And when you are going through whatever you're going to be going through, you are never alone. Not ever, ever, ever are you alone. Think that through for just a moment. When someone passes away, we go to the funeral homes, we go to the visitations, and we come to the, you know, the funerals and all that. And you know what the craziest thing is? The craziest thing is, is that we think that we're going to say something to the person who's grieving that it's going to make it all better. You understand what I'm saying to you? So we, we, we go in and say, well, you know, I'm sorry for your loss. If there's anything I can do for you, you know that he's in a better place now. We say all of those things, don't we? We say those things. But you realize there is nothing that you are ever going to say that is going to make it all better. You know that, right? You're not going to say something that makes it all better. That's one of the reasons that high school funerals are so long. You know, when there's a high school kid that, uh, that, that somehow has a tragedy and, and dies, I, every kid wants to get up and say something about that person. And they believe that they're going to be that person that says something that is going to make things better. And it doesn't. Let me tell you what does make things better. The comfort you give someone at a funeral is being there. It's not about what you say. It is being there. And when you are going through a difficult time, I don't want you to ever forget that God is there. He has never abandoned you. Then an old Boy Scout manual. This is a story of two brothers that fought in World War I in France. They got separated and one asked for permission to go back and retrace his steps to find his brother. The commanding officer said, no way, it's too dangerous. You cannot go back across there. But he, the, this guy, this brother, con, he, he, he continued, he continued to, you know, pester the, his commanding officer. And finally he said, okay, go. And so he leaves and an hour or two later he comes back. And he says, well, what did you find? He says, my brother's dead. He says, look, you risked your life for nothing. And he said, no, no. He says, when I found my brother, he said, I knew you'd come, Tom. I knew you'd come. It's being there, folks. It's being there. And God is being there always. Salvation means that you know that God could change the circumstances that you're in. You're going through a difficult time. I'm going to ask you three questions. Is the problem that you have so big that God can't do anything about it? No. Does God not know what to do? Maybe you, you say, well, it's, it's not too big, but he just doesn't know what to do. Does God not know what to do? No. Well, has God stopped loving you? No. None of those things, right? You'd have to say no. So, if God has the power to do something, and he knows what to do, and he still loves you, then why isn't he doing anything about it? 
You understand where I'm going with this? And now I can tell you what the answer is. It says that while God didn't cause that crisis in your life, God certainly can put a purpose in that crisis. I'm going to tell you something. God never wastes a good crisis. He never wastes a good crisis. The most difficult times in my life, the, most, the times that I had the hardest times in my life, you know, drew me closer to the Lord and I walked with him and grew more than I ever did anywhere else. That's the absolute truth. I, I never got stronger riding my bicycle down hills. You know that? <laughs> never got stronger. You know, I, 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 there's this hill in, in, uh, around the Nashville area. It's called Red Hill. When they name a hill, you know it's steep, okay? And you, you ride that thing in your lowest gear and you go up. And so one time I'm riding that bicycle. I'm, gonna, I'm riding up that hill. I get to the other side and I come, I'm, you know, I'm going down the other side. And the other side is sloping. This one was steep on this side, sloping on the other. And I'm going by and there's a car that's stopped. And the, and the people in the car roll down their window and they say, excuse me. And so... I'm, you know, it, if you, you, you have to slowly hit your brakes. You understand? If you hit your brakes really fast and you're on a road bike, you know what happens. You know, so you don't do that. And so I have to slow dip myself down. Now, what am I doing? They're not backing down to meet me. So I'm riding back up the hill. I'm not making this story up. And I get up there and they said, we just picked up a turtle. Are they dangerous? you answer that question I said no they're the most cuddly animals you can ever get I recommend you sleep with it tonight no I did not say that I did not say that anyway you know the thing that they took from me at that moment is you know when you got a steep hill you got a long ride on the other side you got a reward I'll say this to you every hill you climb has a reward on the other side. Remember that. And so we declare that our trials are temporary. He says that for a little while you'll go through this. See, you may have gone through some problems that you say have lasted a long time. But when you consider eternity, how long is that problem going to last? Let me tell you that whatever that you are going through or you will go through, it will pass. The mountain that is in front of you will be removed and cast into the sea. That person that is giving you fits will either come around to know who Jesus Christ is or you're never going to see him in eternity. You realize that you cannot forget that what you are going through is temporary. Now, this is not going to measure up to a lot of what you're going through, but it is the, an example that I've got. In my hand, I've got, I've got something known as Dupuytren's contracture. And what that means is, is I've got these nodules, and you can actually see them if you were close enough up here. There's nodules in here. They're not painful or anything yet. But what they'll eventually do is, is that they'll draw my fingers in like this. And when they draw my fingers in like this, because it's not bad enough to do anything about now, is that I've gone to the doctors, and the doctors have said, we'll take uh, needles, and I'm going to take a, a, a needle, and, and we'll start giving you shots in those, in those areas. And then we'll, we'll break all of those up. It, their shots are not pleasant. 
But that's all the doctor told me. I made the mistake of asking some other people who had this. And they told me what happens is, is that they sit, they put the needles in there and it does break the stuff up. Then the doctor takes your hand and distracts you and then brings your fingers back real fast. And they said, that's when it really hurts. The problem I have right now is I know they're going to do that. But you know what else I know? No matter how much it hurts, it's temporary. No matter how much it hurts, it's temporary. And so Peter says that that we're going to have our faith tested, the genuineness of our faith. It's going to be tested by fire. It's more precious than gold. So we will pass the test of fire. We pass the test of fire. We are being refined, folks. Gold has a lot of dross in it. And what they do with gold is is that they take it and they heat it. And when they heat it up, the dross rises to the top and they skim off that dross. But it takes a lot of heat to put it in there. So I want you to realize a couple of things. One, first, I want you to realize you are gold. Do you realize that? You are gold. And I'll say this to you. You have such an immense value to God that he gave his only son for you. You have such an immense value that he gave his only son for you. The payment on the cross is beyond any other payment known to man. No other payment is greater than that. Second, you need to know this. You need to know that there are impurities in you. There are impurities in you. You realize that? Uh, I mean, I realize there might be somebody who's pure here today. If you're pure, would you please get up and leave? Because if you are pure, the rest of us are going to corrupt you. Because the rest of us are impure. There are impurities that are in us. And we want those impurities removed. Wouldn't it be a tragedy if you would come to Jesus, but you are never transformed to be more like Jesus? Wouldn't that be a tragedy? That the very... You you got saved, and that is it? You cannot tell me one thing that has changed in your life. You still do the same things. You still have the same worries. You still, you know, you're just the same person that you've always been, never having any change in your life. Paul would write in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So the Christ who lives in me, does so that, so that I can become more like him. I don't want to see it, say this, folks. If what I have to go through is going to make me like Jesus, then bring it on. Bring it on. I don't want to tell you that I like it, and I'm not going to thank God for it. Do you understand? That's not what I'm saying at all. But I think that it is necessary that there's going to be times that I'm going to go through trials in order to make me more like Jesus. I I wonder, 
Are you calling yourself just a sinner that is saved by grace? Or are you calling yourself a sinner who's being transformed in the image of Christ? Let me say this to you. It's a whole lot easier to claim being a sinner than to claim you're being transformed. See, one gives you no responsibility. (laughs) I can just be the same old person that I'm always going to be and exactly that I've always been. But the other one says, I'm being changed. I'm being changed by the presence of Jesus Christ who is in me. Uh, Let me challenge you to do something in terms of doing an evaluation. What would you be like if you became like Jesus? What would you be like? You need to have that vision in your mind. I mean, let me give you a couple examples. If you're driving down the road, would you say, I'm driving like I think Jesus would drive down this road? How about that for a moment? Or when somebody says something to you that maybe is not so kind, how do you respond to them? Are you responding and saying, you know what? I'm responding like I believe Jesus would have me respond. And then I want to say, if you want to be like that, I mean, if you really want to be like Jesus, how much are we willing to pay? And I'm not talking about money. Are you willing to go through the trials that God would put or allow you to have? He doesn't cause the crises, but he certainly allows you to go through the crises. And, and are you willing to go through those crises so that you will become like Jesus? For if we do, if we do, we give praise, glory, and honor when Jesus is revealed. I want to tell you something. Every one of us is going to have a testimony before Jesus. And that testimony might not be good. Lord, what you gave me, I kept and I didn't didn't do anything with it. I'm still just exactly what you gave me. I got salvation and that's it. Or I've been transformed and I'm different. In one of the churches I served, there was a guy named Al. A-L. The reason I say that, I call him, I want to make sure you understand his name is A-L is because uh, Al was the head of Baptist Press. I'm just going to tell you a little bit about him. He was the head of Baptist Press. And even though he was well-educated, and even though he had a lot of good experience, and he worked very hard, <coughs> excuse me, he taught my youngest daughter's kindergarten class. You realize, here's a guy at this level, he's teaching a kindergarten class in church. And my daughter used to say, at five years old, Mr. Al, he's a hoot. And so you understand why I call him A.L. Al. Well, Mr. Al was not the person that the Southern Baptist Convention wanted to have at Baptist Press. The problem is, is that he couldn't slant the news the right way. If you understand what I'm saying, the way they wanted it. So they fired Mr. Al. Mr. Al was in his 50s at this time. And Mr. Al, even though he had worked hard, he was educated, and he had lots of experience, the secular institutions wouldn't take him because he was too religious. And the religious institutions wouldn't take him because they were afraid they'd get the Southern Baptist upset. Just being honest with you. This is what happened. And so Mr. Al went and started working at Kroger's. 
Now, there's nothing wrong with working at Kroger's. I'm not trying to cut any of that down. But a man who has worked so hard, has been so educated, and has done such a good job, would he expect to have to work and start at the very bottom? That's what he did. He started working at the very bottom at Kroger's. He was stocking, uh, stocking the um, produce there. And there were many times that I went over to Kroger's and I talked to him because I was over there buying something. And what I noted from Mr. Al was this. He never, ever, ever said a bad word about those people who fired him and how they dealt with him. Not ever. Several years later, he was killed in a car wreck. And I went to his funeral. I was no longer in that church, but I traveled back there to go to his funeral. And the reason is, is because I never had met a man who was more like Jesus than he was. Be honest with you. And I went there to give praise, glory, and honor to Jesus for changing somebody like that. And hoping someday I could be like Mr. Al, who was like Jesus. So when a person becomes like Christ during the very troubling time, who gets the praise, glory, and honor? Jesus does. So is that what's coming from you? Is that where your heart is? Is that what you're investing in? I can tell you it's easy to sing when there's nothing to bring you down. But what do you say when you're held to the fire like you are right now? Pray with me, please. Father, I pray that we might have lives